Hi, I'm Lanise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. On today's episode of Period Story, I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with Nicola Ray Wickham, the founder of A Life More Inspired. On this episode, Nicola talks about the importance of being authentic, the power of imperfection, and she shares her really powerful fertility story. And of course, Nicola also shared the story of her very first period. I hope you enjoy the episode. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's get into the question I ask my guests um, at the beginning of each show is tell me the story of your first period. Okay, so the story of my first period was um, it actually started in my first week of starting high school. So it was kind of a, a time of transition, um, a big time of firsts, first week of starting high school. And so I had that kind of feeling in my tummy, but I thought it was just nerves about starting high school. I would turned 13 kind of two weeks after that. Um, and I just thought it was like being in this big school and kind of starting off as year eight and you could see all the older ones there in year 11 and they looked all so big and scary and like adults. And I couldn't believe that they were actually school children. Some of them. <laughs> and um, we had a PE lesson and at my school, the, the PE teacher was notorious. She was so scary right like even before entering the school everyone knew about her and so she um had we got her in for our very first PE lesson and she was checking our feet for verrucas (laughs) (laughs) because that's what they did then it was like um we weren't wearing socks and so they were really kind of in the in the changing room they wanted to check all of our feet for verrucas to make sure we didn't have any so that we could proceed with getting changed for PE and what she used to do is we all used to have to sit there by then we changed into our PE kits so we were in our little netball skirts and polo shirts and you have to put your feet out and she would grab your foot and yank it up check the bottom of your feet yeah, I know. It sounds like I went to school in the dark ages. Yeah, yeah. only like twenty something years ago, <laughs> thirty years ago. And um, when she did that, my best friend was sitting opposite me. And afterwards, she went, "Nick, Nick, I think your period started." That's how it started. So, how did she know that it had started? she saw the blood on my knickers as the as the teacher had like pulled up our arm sorry, pulled up our legs and we were wearing these little netball skirts it kind of exposed our underwear oh my, oh and my that's gosh. how she yeah I know right my best friend she was like I think Nicola you started your period I was like oh my goodness so what did you do so I um went to the bathroom used tissue um, even though I knew that it was coming because I was relatively late out of all of my friends. I I was turning 13, like I said, a week or two weeks after the start of term. Um, but I was still really surprised. And I just went to the toilet and used tissue. And it's like, let me just get through the rest of the day so I can get home and tell my mum. 
Well, you sound like you were, you, you, you took it on the chin. You went to the, to the bathroom, got your tissue and get on with the rest of the day. Whereas some, some girls would have just fallen to pieces. How, how did you know what to, what to do and handle, how to handle it? Goodness me. I, I was expecting it. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't kind of a major surprise. It's not like I looked at the blood and thought, what's that? And where's it come from kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I suppose I, as a child, I was so used to just absorbing and getting on with it. And also very measured about where I would show my feelings and where I wouldn't. So I knew that I just needed to ride out the day. Just need to ride out the day and I can get home and then I can deal with it. It's almost that kind of compartmentalising. And I I was a very sensitive, and I still am a a sensitive adult, I was a very sensitive child. And the way that I would deal with that is like, okay, let's just get through the app, let's get through this lesson, let's get through this day, we get home to our sanctuary and everything will be okay. So it was kind of like that with the period as well. And what happened when you got home? got home told my mum and she was like oh my goodness it's here it started I can't believe it's in your first week of high school um and then she got out all of the supplies and proceeded to talk me through everything and then I was like what about dad like do I have to tell him she's like don't worry about that and then um I could tell that she told him because he just it just felt like he looked at me differently (laughs) (laughs) it felt like he looked at me there's this sudden like concern like are you okay Nicola I'm like yeah I'm right (laughs) (laughs) and then that was it therein started the journey of menstruation your mom she was quite welcoming and open when you when you got home um and did she did she explain what was to come or was it just an explanation of what was happening to you on the occasion of your first period? Um, I think it was really just about the first period. It was kind of like, well, this will happen. Well, I knew it would happen monthly. Like I knew the, the almost like the ins and outs of it beforehand. Um, and she was like, it might be painful. And it will happen a few um, times. It will happen once every month. And uh, I can get you like painkillers, a hot water bottle. Um, here's a basin. The cleanliness side of it and the hygiene side of it was, to be honest, now I reflect, was the majority of the conversation. It was almost like, a now you need to keep extra clean. Here's a special basin. Um, which in itself is quite interesting, right? What was a basin for? To wash with um, over and above having like a bath. It was. Oh, okay. So you, is it like you would, we would wash your knickers separately or would you have, uh, just talk me through what the basin, like what how you the, would actually the, use the basin. The basin was for, um, the basin was for soaking knickers okay um and wash like washing them out where they yeah. if they'd been soiled yeah. um and then 
also the basin was if so I would have a wash in the morning but then if I felt like I needed later on like throughout the day or something before then there was the basin right okay yeah so this idea that you needed to feel you need to to be extra clean and you needed to take extra measures to have that extra cleanliness what what how do you feel about that now now I can see that it, it was suggesting in some way that being on your period was dirty mm. and that you like you said you needed I needed that extra layer of hygiene practice now that my period had started mm. which is yeah just the connotations of that is just I mean without <laughs> too much information that's not a practice I do now <laughs> in my nearly 40 year old self you know I mean? yeah. like, two kids later and like yeah. you have more of an understanding and and even like that stopped pretty much pretty early actually I then went to university what two well, at 18 years old so it's yeah and then from from that occasion of your first period how did you go through the rest of high school having come to come to have your period uh, amongst the later latest of your friends? Um, what kind of conversations were you having with your friends about periods? I don't really remember us talking about them that much. It might be we would discuss when we were on our period and some of my friends would have had quite heavy ones where they wouldn't have attended school um, whereas mine were never like that so I would be in pain and I'd be uncomfortable but it wouldn't be bad enough to not attend school or anything um, so the conversation might just be oh I'm on my period and also if we needed help like to borrow a sanitary towel or a tampon um, or help getting it to the bathroom because obviously we couldn't let anyone I was at a mixed school so god forbid a boy would find out you were on your period um so it was almost like this kind of we'd have to get together and conclude in passing each other like it was contraband <laughs> again now I look back and I'm just like we had to hide it so much we felt like we did so it was definitely the embarrassment around it so we would come together in helping each other to navigate um, going to the toilet and things. And it's so interesting because then you weren't allowed to go to the toilet mid-lesson. So as a girl, if you asked to go to the toilet mid-lesson, certain teachers would be like, oh, OK, of course. And certain ones would be like, well, no, go back and sit down. And then you, that girl would have to go through the actually miss or even God forbid, sir. <laughs> 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 I need to go to the bathroom so it was all of that that we had to deal with that we would we would help each other hmm. we'd always cover for each other but other than that we didn't really discuss them it, it's so odd how teachers they they there's this level of control where that you if you have to go to the bathroom they just you have to hold it whereas you get through the rest of your life and if you have you get told if you have to go then go yeah. and it's just kind of control and almost shame around going like toilet habits and then that extends to um, periods but I wonder with you said that there was it was seen as contraband and there was this kind of embarrassment there 
did you carry on this feeling um, after you left high school? Um, I definitely carried it into the workplace. So it was just that it's almost like my period is something that's happening to me and I then must deal with it alone, but also not let anyone else know I'm dealing with it. So Mm. it would be being in the office and needing to go to the bathroom and change my sanitary towel or tampon and being like, okay, (laughs) and stuffing it up my sleeve to go to the bathroom because I'd have to walk across an open plan office. And if I took my bag, it would be so obvious whereas now I'd be like let it be obvious Nicola like there's nothing but it's almost that level of having to protect protect even the I'm so no um conscious of the language I'm using mm. protect everyone from what I don't know but protect everyone from the knowledge that I was on my period god forbid yeah <laughs> I like, so I definitely carried that element right through um to to the workplace Mm. yeah and as you as you got older you said that in the beginning you experienced discomfort and pain how did your periods um, become as you got went into your 20s and 30s so I went on the pill when I was around 18 19 and I didn't come off the pill until I was about 30 I was on it for a really long time and it completely I didn't know it at the time but it completely masked my symptoms so my periods were really light I had really minimal pain um so my relationship with my periods was very detached I would also use the pill to control when they would happen so if I had um a holiday a big night out (laughs) I just didn't want them that month because whatever um I didn't have them so I it became very much yeah I was able to control them and I just became very detached from what they were and because I yeah the, the I used to have kind of slight mood uh, swings and alterations but it wasn't anything dramatic so, mm. yeah and can you talk a little bit about why you originally decided to go on the pill yeah 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 I went on the pill because of contraception okay yeah okay and then you and then you had this the secondary effects of having lighter periods no pain Mm -hmm. and then found that you were able to control your menstrual cycle Mm -hmm. um so when you say that you didn't want to you 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 would able to not have a period when you're on the pill tell us what you used to do I would just so I was on oh my gosh I was on microgeigen which I believe is the min is that the mini pill yeah yeah so I would just carry on the packs and then you wouldn't have a period it was like magic (laughs) it felt like magic at the time (laughs) before I knew what I was really doing but um yeah so I would just I just carry it on and then I wouldn't you were on it you were on it for 12 years mm-hmm. and what made you decide to come off the pill? I decided I wanted to have a baby and I knew that um, I just had a feeling that it was going to be challenging for me. It then became a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I um, was like, okay, let me get this pill out of my system that I've had for so long. Also around that time I had suspected PCOS. So um, when I did my reading up on that, the advice was like, the pill isn't that great. So, 
that combined with um, knowing that I wanted to conceive like fairly soon, I decided to come off the pill. Okay. And what made you, what made you think that you had PCOS? So I'd gone to the um, doctor at that time we had private health insurance through my husband's work and I'd gone for something else which I can't remember um, and it turned out that I had an ovarian cyst so it was all those investigations they found out that I had an ovarian cyst which needed to be removed rapidly so within they sought they found it within six weeks I was in theatre and they were taking it out and through that process, she was like, you might have suspected um, PCOS. There was like extra hair um, that I'd experienced. And then there was another symptom. I can't remember what it was now. And to be honest, the PCOS never got confirmed. Okay. It wasn't, it was almost like she had, she thought I had suspected PCOS. Then she started, sent me for a scan. I had this ovarian cyst and then that kind of took over. Mm. Um, and we never really went back and investigated. Um, and then did that have an effect on your, your then when you started to try to conceive? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a bit of a story. So when I um, went in for the operation for the ovarian cyst, when they opened me up, they realised that I've got an abnormal reproductive system. So my fallopian tube on one side isn't fully developed and I've got a bicornate uterus. So it's like a heart-shaped uterus as well as the fallopian tube on one side not being fully developed. So um, they... Well, it was it was really, really dramatic, actually. The day before my wedding, so six weeks before my wedding, I had the emergency operation. And then the day before my wedding, I received a letter that I'd been CC'd on from my surgeon to my GP saying, telling her all of this and saying that it was really unlikely that I would conceive naturally. And if I did, that I would keep to term. So I found this out the day before my wedding. I was like devastated. Literally, I was packing my bags to go to the hotel, um, got the letter, opened it and read and read that. And that absolutely devastated me. Um, so did the wedding and that was all fine. But then that started a really like a year of trying and nothing happening. But knowing in the back of my mind that it was might be due to this abnormal reproductive system. Um, so yeah it started off a really challenging journey but then I started after about a year 18 months of nothing happening I start I saw a naturopath mm-hmm. she was a homeopath and a naturopath and she absolutely changed everything um, within three months of seeing her I conceived but I miscarried so I ended up miscarrying um, three times but then I conceived and it stuck and then I was able to have my eldest daughter Wow. So you, the day before your wedding, getting this news and having to shift from just absolutely finding that you might, finding out potentially that you might not have children to then shift into happy, happy families mm-hmm. mode. And it's interesting at the beginning, because you said that you had always been, you'd been, you were able to compartmentalize. Did you find yourself doing that then? Yeah. And it's only in talking to you now, Lenise, that I'm realising that that's exactly what I did. 
um it was the okay I can be devastated tonight my lip my best friend she stayed with me in the hotel the night before she literally scooped me up and looked after me and then got to the morning and it was like you know what this is my day so whatever's going to happen after this is going to happen after this and deal with it but I'm going to enjoy today and I did but it was that exact mindset of when you get back like we went to Thailand on honeymoon it was like you can process in a couple of days when we're in Thailand for mm. now you need to get on with it and it's so funny because I feel like I'm such a different person now now I don't know if I would do that mm. now I bring my whole self to everything and I don't because I don't have to do that whereas yeah. back then and I feel like like systemic and societal conditioning has meant that I will show certain parts of myself in certain situations then being a sensitive soul then being a bit of a chameleon (laughs) (laughs) means that yeah that I I did and I it's only in talking to you I was like wow yeah Mm. (laughs) (laughs) um when you got back you said you when you got back from Thailand you allowed yourself to process what what the news you'd been given when you think back on what the way that you were processing it um back then what what would you say to that self about what you the way you were processing this news I would say to her to um I would say to her to start her self-discovery journey then um I was starting it unknowingly but I hadn't yet discovered the world kind of I hadn't discovered um the inner work so um if I, I would say to her like believe in the power of you believe in um knowing that you're you were part of something far bigger start to connect with spirituality because that will help you but then I was doing it all on my own and I just took on the weight of it Mm. but it was that that was kind of the catalyst um to me almost doing what I'm doing now and being part of this world and and being the person I am now it it sent me on this journey Mm. often when we hear about these stories of infertility or suspected infertility women are talking about what they had to do and their journey and we don't hear much about how they were able to the support around them especially the support from their husbands did you fight did you lean on your husband's for support or did you feel like this was something you had to take on yourself um I kind of did I kind of did. He was supportive in the sense that he was like, well, we'll, we'll do whatever we can to make it happen. So um, after the third miscarriage, he was like, right, let's look into IVF. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like <laughs> we've got other options first. So he was kind of very alpha male practical in that way. Um at that time he was also doing some like big IT exams that were really intense so he was like flying off to Brussels to take these exams it was a really intense period for him and so he wasn't as emotionally available um as 
maybe I needed him to be. But at the same time, I'm quite independent in the way that I process. Again, I think I kind of compartmentalise and I did that again to deal with that period. So he was good and he wasn't good. (laughs) 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 Um, You had had this experience and then you had a kind of, you had a light at the end of the tunnel. Can you tell us the work that a little bit about the work that you did with the naturopath um, that changed your um, your reproductive health. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it actually started off with I went on a girls' holiday to Ibiza, um, and it was a really it was a really fun holiday. But it was also a really spiritual holiday. And one of my friends, who's into all of this stuff, we were up really high up in the old town, and we were looking out on the stars. It was nighttime, and she was like Nicola tell the universe what you want and I was like what are you talking about she's like tell the universe what you want and I'd never done that before and so I did that and that really kind of started a a journey for me and then bless her she would get me crystals and she would get me orange crystals and she would tell me to put them on my tummy and so that kind of started things and then when I started seeing my homeopath and naturopath um, she sorted out my diet she sorted out my stress levels because I was working in, um, where was I working at the time? I'd moved from fashion marketing into public sector communications, um, which was less stressful than fashion. And it was closer to home, but it was still, yeah, a lot. Um, And also I was so stressed about not getting pregnant as well. So that was a big part of my stress levels. Um, So we worked on diet, we worked on stress, We worked on mindset, although I didn't know that it was mindset at the time. And she gave me homeopathic remedies, which were amazing. So what would happen is I would see her after every period and we would have a download of like, how was it? Like, what did it look like? How long did it last? I was doing my basal temperature. Yeah, yeah, basal yeah, temperature. Thingy temperature. Yeah, I was doing yeah. that. So we would kind of do a debrief report. Um, and then she would adjust the remedies according to what kind of came up. Um, so she had a transformative effect on my reproduction. Like she's the reason that I was able to conceive. And it was so interesting as well. As I felt like I'd get a biology lesson. <laughs> I felt like I went through the whole of up until, I mean, I started seeing her when I was probably about 32. 3132 and um I just <laughs> feel embarrassed to say it now I kind of thought you could get pregnant anytime <laughs> at 32 years old like <laughs> well, you're not alone there <laughs> oh, good <laughs> because I'd gone so long just trying not to get pregnant and then and I literally just thought and my mum had always when I was younger teenager giving me the talk like do not get pregnant Nicola do not get pregnant <laughs> So I literally just thought you could get pregnant any time. So when I sat down with her name's Cassie and she explained to me how it actually works, I was like, what? We have a fertile window. <laughs> um, so in that year that we were trying to conceive, I, did, I didn't really know about all of that stuff. So um, she, yeah, she sorted me out from that point of view as well. I was doing all the charting I was doing everything and yeah I got an education and a relearning and a change in perspective 
and the homeopathic remedies really helped. Mm. So thinking about the education that you that you got about what was happening to your body or what continues to happen to your body reproductively and um, hormonally, what what do you wish you learned back in high school? I wish I'd learned. Um, I wish I'd learned how how periods actually work in terms of that they aren't bad (laughs) like I'm really excited to teach my daughters that they can use that they can work with their periods rather than working against them and when I found out about the seasons that just changed everything for me especially as like a real creative person and a feelings person and and so much of my work is is and how I am is intuitive so being able to tune into that um, is like a bit of a superpower kind mm. of. And so I wish I had been, it had been talked about in that kind of way. I'd mm. wish I'd known the power in it rather than it just being this thing that happens and that means that now you can get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so interesting that what you're saying, because so many of my guests and so many of the women I've spoken to have said that their menstrual health and their reproductive health education in school was very much focused on this is what you need to do to not get pregnant. And they didn't learn about, you know, what you're saying about the seasons of the menstrual cycle, kind of the phases and, you know, with menstruation being the winter and ovulation being the summer and how they really wish that they had learned that. So, you know, you, you're not alone in what you're saying. Um, when you, so you were able to get pregnant and obviously that was a real game changer for you. Um, after your first pregnancy, what did you, what learnings did you take from what you did before you, you got pregnant into your next pregnancy? Um, well, it was completely different, completely different experience because I was so, I was so um, stressed and worried and anxious about not being able to get pregnant the first time. So when that happened, I was like, okay, I've got my one. I'm cool. This is fine. Um, and there's like a six, seven year gap between me deciding to go again and the second time was much more of a considered decision like I also I knew what I was walking into um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit like is this the right thing kind of thing and I was just a lot more relaxed about it like really really relaxed um I wasn't other than doing kind of the basic charting um so I knew when I was fertile but I wasn't doing all of this stuff that I had done the first time and it was very much kind of if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't so I was literally and I was a different person in approaching that pregnancy than the first one I was very much trusting Mm. um surrendering and also feeling really full and whole so that if it didn't happen I'd still be as happy as if it did Mm. It, it was my yeah whereas the first time it literally I remember sitting down and talking to my naturopath and being like I don't know what my life will be like if I can't like I cannot see my life without 
having a baby um whereas the second time I was just like yeah I'm totally leaving it up to the universe and the ancestors to do what they see fit so you mentioned that mindset work that you did um before your first pregnancy and then you the way you're talking you really hear the shift in the way you approached it and you mentioned the word trust talk a little bit about what you had to trust in order for you to go through that second the journey to the second pregnancy I had to trust that my life was enough regardless of what happened um and trust that there's a plan and whatever the outcome of that plan is it's okay um yeah it was it was more about it was about trusting kind of the powers that are bigger than us and also trusting myself and I was in I was in such a place of um fulfillment and it's kind of like life is good Mm either way and what I wish I could go back to Nicola at 30 years old and tell her even if you hadn't have been able to have yes you would have been devastated but life still would have been good but I didn't believe then I could I couldn't see anything wider Mm. than becoming a mum so yeah it takes a lot for us to be able to step out of where we are in that moment and see the bigger picture. And, you know, they, that's, they do say that hindsight is twenty twenty. but it's, it's interesting that shift that you, you had and you were able to take your, your experience and actually trust more and know that your life would be okay because mm. it, it was okay. And it is okay. Just wonderful hearing you express it like this. Yeah, it is. And it's really nice to be to be expressing it as well, because when you're in it and doing life, you don't often zoom up and especially kind of this part of my life as well. Zooming up and out of it is. Yeah, it's really nice. Can you talk about the work that you do? Because you you've touched on it briefly, some of the personal development work that you do. But I know that your business really involves a lot of this so talk a little bit about the work that you do um and the working with women so what I do is I help women to show up more wholeheartedly in their brands primarily I'm trained in marketing it's it's what I've done since university um and then I've got my coaching sets as well so I kind of combine them to help a small women and businesses to really put that heart and soul into their brands and then move on the ideas that they've got so um and and I believe especially for generation x women where we have a lot of unlearning to do a lot of places and spaces where we for various reasons have had to edit ourselves and assimilate and filter And then we get to this stage where, and then we had to continue to do that through corporate, get to these stages of having our own businesses and everyone's like, just be yourself. (laughs) And you're like, number one, 
I don't know who I am. (laughs) (laughs) And then you want me to be it. (laughs) So it's like I work with women on helping them kind of draw out the essence of who they are and then infuse that into their brands because those are the best personal brands that are infused with who you are. So I talk about um, imperfection a lot um authenticity and just brand building from a space of telling your truth really Mm. yeah do you think that that journey from being in the corporate role to um to going to have your own business and you know having to show up as yourself um and to quote unquote be be yourself whatever that is why do you think that's so hard? I think it's so hard because society tells us that we shouldn't. Mm. Society tells us that we're not enough. Um, and so it then becomes, we, we become so used to being what other people need us to be. Mm. And this goes for massively for black women and women from marginalized communities where um the editing and the code switching in order to fit in is prolific Mm. because literally the workplace or society is saying that you being assertive, for instance, in the boardroom, you're suddenly aggressive. So we're (laughs) constantly like second guessing and having to think before we do and speak and be. So that's definitely part of it. And then also for all women, especially in, in the corporate space, there's a particular version that is acceptable mm. and so it's trying to fit into that mold and then when we take it wider to um, advertising and marketing of which I've very much been a part of <laughs> but it is designed to ride on insecurities mm. buy this lipstick and you're going to feel better because you're not good enough as it is and so constantly going in not feeling that being yourself is enough so it's it's complex and it's layered and it's nuanced and I'm endlessly fascinated by it (laughs) (laughs) um to make that shift to be able to show up show up as your whole self what would you say that you said that's nuanced and there's lots of layers to it if you're talking to a woman who's at the beginning of that journey what would you say that she needs to start doing um, the first thing that I believe that she needs to start doing, and it's a task that I get people to do in my um, in my signature program, Wholehearted, and it's it sounds like a little bit of a strange one because I get them to shine the light outwards before we go inwards, but I get them to tell me who their wholehearted inspo is. So who is the person, probably on the internet, who they look at and they're just like. I love what they do. I love the way that they show up. And at the beginning, they feel really removed from that person. So the the type of um, women that I attract, they're empaths, they're sensitive souls, they're big hearted creatives. So often the women who um, are there in wholehearted inspos are the likes of Brené Brown, Liz Gilbert, um, people that are really showing up unapologetically Mm. and so they see themselves as being so far removed from them and what they'll see as we go through is that what you aspire to be like what you're inspired by is actually a reflection of what is within you Mm. 
So that's one of the first things I get to them to do is actually to look outwards. And then after that, very quickly looking at what lights them up, like mm. what brings you joy, what lights you up. And then we can start from that place. And all the way through, my thing is imperfection for the win. Mm. Like where can you strive to be imperfect? <laughs> mm. Do you think that a lot of women are coming away from this this trap of perfectionism absolutely perfectionism is what is stopping us in so many ways so many and it pertains to the question you asked me earlier about um being in like corporate spaces and not being able to be yourself it presents this image of you've got to be perfect Mm. as a woman we have to be like we're told we have to be perfect anything less is not acceptable and so we're constantly reaching for what we all know deep down is unattainable and that either keeps us stuck and doing nothing at all because it's kind of like well why bother or it keeps us tired and exhausted and overwhelmed trying Mm. to reach this pinnacle of perfection that doesn't exist so um yeah it's what holds so much of us back and then the other layer to perfectionism as well is that it's it's um like a protection mechanism Mm. if I'm perfect no one will criticize and judge me right (laughs) (laughs) and what we all know is that even if we were perfect and perfection doesn't exist we're always going to get the judgment anyway Mm. but it is it's so interesting where it's used as a protection yeah I, I can totally relate to that. What happens when women, they embrace imperfection? Oh, gosh, it's liberation happens. <laughs> it is so freeing to be able then to rock up and trust. It's that word again. You're able to trust what you know, trust who you are, trust what's going to come out of your mouth is is okay. Trust that what you're going to tap onto the keys and write is okay and enough. Um, so it's just freeing on a real practical level. It saves time, mm. right? Like you're not procrastinating as much. It doesn't get rid of procrastination, I wish, but not as much. <laughs> you're not re-recording that video 10 million times. you're not deliberating over every decision you're not and big one that's coming up for my clients right now is over preparing right like I can't remember the saying something like prepare to fail or fail to prepare or prepare to fail yeah I hate that (laughs) (laughs) it gets drummed into us probably from school and there's an element at school where we need to study for exams so it's helpful but then as women we take that on and the amount of women I see over preparing which then seeps into over delivering Mm. and it's all coming from a place of if I over prepare and over deliver I'll be perfect Mm. and then I won't get judged how would you connect that with the idea that you know for for black women you get told that you have to work twice as hard just to be on it on the same playing field so there is this level of over preparing and overworking that that you do do because you feel like you will get judged not only for what you're doing but because of your color of your skin Mm, that is a 
big one. <laughs> <laughs> and that is one that I consciously reconcile every day for myself mm. and absolutely um my black clients I'm helping them through that because it's it's a belief and it's a truth um but our job is to be very conscious of it mm. right so it, it can lead so many of us down that road of burnout because we are pushing and pushing and it's kind of like well what about the suggestion is if if you didn't push so hard if you trusted again that what you're delivering is enough Mm. um that yes you are going to be judged harsher like I'm not going to to uh beat around the bush on that we are judged by a different standard but if we just do the best with what we've got and where we can, and that doesn't mean staying up working longer or doing more, but actually it means if we can trust what we're doing and what we're delivering. And I believe infusing more of us into it, mm. that is actually where the magic is in our authenticity. Mm. And probably if we were having this conversation 20 years ago I mean we'd be a lot younger (laughs) but it would be very different it was a very different time that we were coming up in Mm. now is our time like we can I'm saying to a lot of my black clients at the moment you just need to be Mm. right Mm. you just need and we've never been told that before before it was all do 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 we just need to be and work from that place Mm. um and I do believe the condition of work two times hard, it has to be conscious. We have yeah. to, because it's so easy to to get into our everyday and have us burning out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Lots of food for thought there, uh, as I knew there would be because you're so full of wisdom. Can you tell listeners if they're here connecting with their, what you're saying and they, they think, I, I need to work with Nicola, how they connect with you? Yes, absolutely. So Instagram is my main playground and I'm there at A Life More Inspired and my DMs always open. So come and have a chat with me there. Um, and then I have my signature program, which is Wholehearted, which is just, oh, it's beautiful. Um, someone described it as a warm hug and a loving nudge. <laughs> the other day. <laughs> but it really is taking you from... Um, having your idea for your brand by the end of it having a clear voice um, stepping into your authenticity and also importantly creating content that connects and converts because mm. you know that's what it's all about um so yeah that's that's one of my main things and my membership as well which is a beautiful beautiful ecosystem so yeah if listeners take one thing away from what you've shared today what would you want that to be it would be imperfection for the win. <laughs> if people could walk around their days and just remember that, that would, yeah, that would bring me so much joy. And I think that would be the most helpful thing that I could leave. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I knew this was going to be a brilliant episode and it really is. So thank you so for being so open and showing up as your whole self. Oh, Lenise, thank you so much. (laughs) Honestly, this conversation has just warmed my heart. And yeah, yeah, thank you. 
For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.